Hey, this is Neil Parks, your host for Paranormally Speaking. This episode is all about story time, terrifying tales, scary stories. Those that I've written and had published, some that I've not yet had published that I'm introducing to you for the first time, some that are attached to my audiobook that came out last fall. So sit back, relax, pop some popcorn if you have time, or if you're on a long drive, hopefully you don't fall asleep. This is Neil Parks, and please hold for a important message from our sponsor. Now playing one of the biggest podcasts of the week on the free iHeartRadio app. Now number one for podcasting. Till death. This was Sarah's first real home with Rick. It wasn't an apartment or a house on loan from a family member. They started renting this dream home soon after their wedding. The modest and inviting White House was nestled on a small lot in the heart of the historical downtown district of Boston. It appeared to be the perfect opportunity to start their lives together. Rick and Sarah were newlyweds and were immediately drawn to this perfect little home. For months, the couple enjoyed furnishing and decorating their first real home. They loved living downtown. In the beginning, they thought it was just the noises of a really old house settling. Then strange things began to happen. The first night of the morning slipped around the edges of the white ruffled curtains as the young bride snuggled under the covers. Returning to sleep, she was suddenly startled by noises coming from the kitchen down below. The sounds of dishes clattering, water running, and cupboard doors opening and closing. She soon realized she wasn't home alone in the house. The sound of footsteps on the stairs soon followed the earlier noises. One by one, the footsteps were slow and steady. The stairs were creaking and then the footsteps were heard in the hallway. The footsteps stopped short of her closed bedroom door. Rick? She whispered. She was white knuckling her pillow, not knowing who or what was near her door. Was it an intruder lingering outside her bedroom? Could this be more of the ongoing issues that they have experienced? It went on quite a while before they accepted the fact that there was a restless spirit refusing to let go. When her husband left for work, she would always climb back under the covers, resting before her shift at the hospital later in the day. As she was fading in and out of sleeping and waking up, Sarah would hear movements and sounds downstairs. Sarah became concerned. It sounded like someone doing dishes, only the dishes were already clean and in the cupboard. This time felt very different from the early encounters with the phantom noises and movements. This was the first time the footsteps were heard in the hall and near the door. Rick, she whispered once more, only a bit louder this time. There was no response. She started to stiffen and reach for the baseball bat to the right of their headboard. Sarah walked softly toward the door with the bat in her hand. She was ready for a fight if she had to defend herself. The house was in a safe and upscale neighborhood, but this new noise made her nervous. She carefully placed her hand on the doorknob and jerked open the door. 
Sarah leapt into the hall, violently swinging the ball bat in every direction she could swing it. There was nothing near her door or in the hall that she could see. Without a second thought, Sarah shouted aloud for whomever or whatever could hear. This isn't funny. Cut the crap out already. I'm trying to sleep. Sarah wasn't really expecting a response to her surprise, though. The laughter of a child could be heard coming from the other end of the hall. Sarah was facing the direction of where the laughter came from. There was nothing physically there, but the laughter was still present. Sarah lowered the bat and stepped back into her room. She shut and locked the door. She wasn't expecting a response, especially one of that magnitude. Sarah was completely creeped out by the encounter. Dishes clattering, cabinet doors opening and closing, footsteps and floors creaking was one thing, but phantom laughter was an entirely different level. Sarah went ahead and got ready early for her shift. She told herself that she could go to the staff rooms at the hospital and catch up on her sleep. She was too spooked at this point to stay home and sleep. Sarah was quick about getting herself ready. She focused only on the task at hand, and that was to get ready and get out. After getting dressed, Sarah grabbed her phone and purse. She made a mad dash for the front door and headed outside. Her nerves were unsettled as she turned to lock the door. She called Rick on the way to work. He didn't answer, and the call went to his voicemail. Damn it, Rick, pick up! Sarah shouted into the phone. She threw her phone in anger and bounced it on the floor. Rick was busy and always kept his phone on vibrate while at work. Sarah was hoping that being at work would keep her mind off of what's happening at home. A few hours would pass before Rick would make it home. His routine was simple. He would pull up to the sidewalk, fumble with his keys, let himself in, and toss his keys on the marble foyer table. Rick was so exhausted that he would just go and find a place to lie down for a while. He walked into the living room and dropped into the recliner. As he kicked back to activate the footrest, he fell fast asleep. A few hours went by and the house was now shrouded in darkness. The sun had set and night had fallen. Rick had slept like the dead. Something familiar started to wake him up from his nap. Soft kisses were being applied to his neck, and the feeling of Sarah crawling onto his lap and straddling him in the recliner was a welcome surprise. You're home early. Did you take some personal time and run home to play around? Keep doing what you're doing, Sarah, Rick said as she continued to kiss his neck and rub his chest. Rick was more than awake from his nap at this point. He started to return the kisses and run his finger through her hair. Sarah's hair felt different. It was always smooth and thick. Now it felt dry with tight curls. Wow, babe, did you hit the salon on the way home? What did you do differently? Rick said as he reached to turn on the floor lamp to get a better look. Upon turning on the light, Rick was surprised to see that it wasn't Sarah who was on top of him. The girl who had been doing these things to him was a young blonde girl with deep blue eyes and a painted on smile. She was wearing a flowing gown that wasn't common for this time period, and she smelled like roses and powder. What the hell? Who are you? How did you get in here? Rick shouted. 
as he pushed her off of him and rolled out of his chair. He stood up expecting that this girl was some pill head or a transient looking for some stuff to steal. Rick reached for the fire poker next to his chair, but the girl simply vanished before his eyes. What the? Rick said to himself. The sounds of footsteps running up the stairs could be heard. A door slammed and the sound of a girl crying soon followed. Rick was at a total loss for words as to what his next move should be. The ringing of his cell phone broke his concentration. With his hand shaking, he reached for the phone. Hello? Hello? Rick said in a stammering manner. He didn't even bother to check the caller ID on his phone. Rick just reached for it and picked it up. Sarah was on the other end of the phone. Rick, you sound weird. Are you okay? Sarah asked. Me? Am I okay? You're not going to believe what just happened here, Rick replied. He went on from there to tell her everything that had just occurred. Rick held nothing back. Rick? You're not going to believe what happened to me, Sarah responded. Rick listened with open ears to her experience from earlier in the day as well. Sarah's shift would be ending in a couple of hours. They both decided to meet at their new favorite coffee house that was down the street. There, they would discuss face-to-face what their next move was going to be. After ending the phone call, Rick slipped his shoes back onto his feet and grabbed his keys. He had no intentions of sitting alone in that house any longer than he had to. The sound of water running could be heard coming from upstairs. Rick's focus shifted from the front door to the upstairs at that point. What's that? Rick said aloud. He walked slowly to the bottom of the staircase. Hello? Rick called out hoping for a reply heavy sobbing could be heard coming from the upstairs rick thought to himself this is nuts who the hell is that he slowly started to climb the stairs one foot in front of the other rick's heart began beating faster with every step he took the closer he got to the top of the stairs the louder the crying got and the more the water was running who's up there show yourself rick shouted He was at the top of the stairs before he noticed that water was all over the floor in the front of the bathroom. Without a second thought, Rick walked down the hall towards the bathroom. The door was cracked and he pushed it the rest of the way open. Upon peering into the bathroom, Rick was dumbstruck by what he saw. Lying face down in the bathtub was a woman in what looked like a wedding gown. Water was overflowing and saturating the runner of the hallway. Rick ran into the bathroom in an attempt to help this mystery woman who was in the tub. He tried to stop short of the clawfoot tub, but the floor was too wet, and he slipped. Rick's head made contact with the edge of the tub. His feet bounced off and threw him back to the floor with extreme force. Rick's head smacked hard on the tile floor. He had the wind knocked out of him and didn't feel as if he could get back up. The room started spinning, and he could feel himself fading in and out of consciousness. The woman who he saw lying face down in the water-filled tub was now standing over him. It was the same blonde girl who he had encountered downstairs. His head started to pound. The mystery woman knelt down, smiled compassionately at him, and grabbed his hand to hold. Rick placed his other hand at the base of his head and brought his hand back to his face. My hand is covered in blood. On my head, Rick thought to himself before he passed out. He awoke what felt like only moments later. 
He found himself walking along the street. He had no idea where he was and how he had ended up there. How did I end up here? Where am I? Rick said aloud. It was now daytime, and the first person on his mind was Sarah. He searched feverishly for his phone, but it wasn't on him. He approached a woman walking near him. Excuse me, miss, where am I right now? Do you know the time? Rick asked as he approached her. The woman let out a scream and ran away from him. Rick was surprised and just as scared as she was. Rick kept walking as he could only think about Sarah. Everyone he approached seemed to be scared of him and would run away. This confused Rick greatly. He finally decided to hail a taxi and give the driver his address. The taxi driver took one look at him and sped away. Frustrated, Rick found a man using a phone. He ran over to him and begged him to use it. The man threw his phone at Rick and ran away. What the hell is wrong with you people? I need help. Why will no one help? Rick cried aloud. Rick noticed that the man he approached threw his cell phone at him. He ran over and picked it up in order to call Sarah. Rick quickly dialed her number and waited. A strange man answered her phone. Rick shouted into the phone, Sarah, Sarah, who the hell is this? I need to speak with Sarah. Where is my wife? The voice responded, Sir, I think you have the wrong number. Who are you trying to reach? Rick fired back. Who am I trying to reach? Who the hell is this? I'm calling my wife's number, Sarah Sullivan. This is Rick, her husband. There was a long pause in the other end of the phone, followed by the stranger clearing his throat. He responded, Sir, I'm really sorry. I'm certain that you have the wrong number. Uh, Mrs. Sullivan is making arrangements for her husband's funeral. He's going to be buried in a couple of days. He died at their home last night. Horrified by this news, Rick dropped the phone and fell back against the store window. He turned and looked at his reflection in the glass and saw blood all over the top of his head and a huge bruise on his forehead and the side of his face was swollen and red. Standing next to him was the same mystery woman from his house. She was the same woman who he had an encounter with in the recliner and was holding his hand as he was lying on the floor. She said to Rick, it's going to be fine, my love. You will be with me forever now. Death has brought us together. Rick let out a guttural scream. No! no! Good news! The outrageously expensive little blue pill is now generic, which means you can get the prescription medication to treat ED at affordable prices. And Hems makes it extra affordable. You pay just 30 bucks for a month's supply. And right now, get your first online doctor's visit totally free when you go to 4 slash good. That's right, free. Zero copay, no expensive appointments, no awkward face-to-face -face conversations to get your prescription. Hims connects you to doctors online who can evaluate you and, if appropriate, prescribe your ED medication. And a pharmacy sends it right to your door. Hims makes it affordable, private, and incredibly easy. Nobody likes dealing with ED. Now, thanks to Hims, nobody has to. And that's really good news. To start your free online visit, you need to go to this exclusive address, 4 slash good. That's 4 slash good for your free online visit. F-O-R-H-I-M-S dot com slash good. Family is big around here. 
were family-owned, family-operated, family-managed. And that means legacy. That means dependability. That means using Granger. With over 1.5 million products and knowledgeable product experts, Granger has whatever we need. And with same-day pickup and next-day delivery options, they have it whenever we need it. For over 90 years, businesses like ours have trusted Granger. Because, like family, Granger's got our back. Call, clickgranger.com, or stop by to see for yourself. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Bloody Birthday, written by me, Neil Parks, and also narrated by me, Neil Parks. Enjoy. Good evening. My name is Neil Parks. I'm an award-winning author, screenwriter, artist, and I also dabble in the paranormal as far as investigating and researching the unknown. I'm here to read a few of my stories to you in an attempt to do an audiobook, something a little special to possibly scare the pants off of you. My first story, Bloody Birthday. Come on, Aiden, it's time to blow out your candles, said Trish. His mom, as the partygoers were finishing singing, Happy Birthday, Aiden's mother wasn't crazy about the theme for the party. But The Walking Dead was her son's favorite television show, and it's what he desperately wanted. Finally, Trish relented as she couldn't resist his constant pleading any longer. Aiden insisted that his mom and dad dress in costume for the party, but he was also delighted to see that a few of his friends and family got into the spirit and dressed as zombies as well. Some of the relatives had arrived already. They drifted away from the party and were over by the pond. Aiden's mom chose Yachtanji Park as the location for the party because it has a shelter house, lots of room to play games, a playground, and it's a great area for the party because of these things. Plus, the pond, which was next to it, was great for fishing and riding paddle boats. Aiden agreed that it was the perfect setting for the party. A few of Aiden's cousins and his aunt devoured the cake and ice cream and decided to forego the presents so they could skip rocks on the pond. Aiden looked in their direction to yell, Thank you! for their present when he saw something big moving along the water near where the ducks were swimming. Look! Look! It's a huge fish! Aiden's cousin shouted. It looks big enough to eat the ducks! Aiden's aunt exclaimed. A few more family members and passerbys moved in closer to see what all the commotion was about. What started out as looking like a huge fish under the water was something entirely different. In fact, there were several floating objects in the water. Aiden's attention was immediately pulled from opening presents to what was happening at the pond. He soon noticed everyone in the vicinity was focused on the same thing. What was causing the big commotion at the pond? Aiden slowly walked toward the water, focusing all his attention on something coming up out of the water. To his disbelief and outright terror, he saw several figures emerging from the water and walking toward him and the partygoers behind him. Oh my God, Mom! They look so real! They look like real zombies from The Walking Dead! Aiden was beyond excited for what he believed to be the ultimate surprise. Several people were crawling out of the pond and walking the grounds near the party area. 
most of the younger children scurried away from the horde approaching the birthday party. This is badass! This looks so friggin' real! said Aiden's uncle, who was already dressed as a dollar store zombie. His getup paled in comparison to the obvious hours of work that went into how authentic and movie-like these zombies looked. They've got to be professionals, one of the partygoers said to Aiden's uncle. This must have cost Trish some big bucks, Adam thought to himself. A young couple walking by with their dog came to a stop and watched for a moment. Oh my God, Kyle, it's a zombie walk, excitedly said his girlfriend. The young couple stopped moving and continued watching the large group of people dressed as the undead approached them. A random passerby walked up to the horde and stood next to one of the zombies, hoping for a selfie. But he was instantly grabbed by one of them. The zombie bit deep into the man's neck and grabbed onto his face. The poor man let out an echoing scream. The sound in his flailing drew the attention of the rest of the horde. They descended upon him like a group of starving tigers on a wounded gazelle. The young couple was ripped apart by the other wandering undead cannibals as they stood still in shock. The crowd that gathered to watch the horde emerge from the pond started running away from the scene and screaming. The sounds and movement caught the attention from some of the zombies, and they started to spread out. Most of them started moving towards the birthday party. The confusion and chaos was too much for everyone in the park. One person after another was getting grabbed, attacked, and bitten by what was believed to be a birthday party surprise. Parents were rushing to their children and attempting to grab them and flee between all of the madness. Aiden saw his father in the distance. His dad had finally returned from a last-minute cola run to the store. Aiden wasn't sure how to run through the hell that was breaking loose around them so he could get to his father. He started walking swiftly in the direction of where he saw him. His heart stopped and his gag reflexes kicked in as he tripped over body parts, half-eaten partygoers, and random strangers. Aiden's mother started running towards his father, hoping that he could get them help and a quick escape. Mom! Dad! Aiden cried. Aiden began to stumble, then run into his parents' direction. He was only a few feet away from them when he noticed that his dad had blood on his shirt and his arm. The trail of blood was flowing from the side of his neck. Dad! Dad! Aiden screamed. His newly zombified father stopped sauntering and turned to look in his direction. Aiden's mother was within an arm's reach of his dad. It was too late for her to notice that he was now a shell of his former self. Aiden's dad grabbed onto her and bit deep into her face. Her cheekbone was now exposed as the flesh was ripped away by the ravenous biting. Trish! Screams. Her, e her echoes were heard through the park. Mom! No! Dad! Stop it! Stop! Aiden screamed as he watched his mother fall at his father's feet. Blood poured from her deep gashes. Aiden could feel the ice flow through his veins and noticed that his feet felt cemented to the ground as absolute fear crept through his body. 
He looked around to see more and more of his friends and family running from the party, lying dead on the ground, being attacked by the undead, or rising up to walk among the horde of the walking dead. This was supposed to be a beautiful, memorable day for Aiden. All of the partygoers, friends, and family were supposed to be celebrating another year of Aiden's life. As his mother arose after being eaten alive, both of Aiden's parents started to slowly walk towards a sobbing Aiden. He stretched out his arms as to hug them and to face the inevitable on his bloody birthday. And now a word from our sponsor. Class is in session. What the hell is going on out there? Avery said aloud as several teachers and students were slamming their doors, one by one, and shutting off the lights. This is standard drill protocol for an active shooter lockdown. They have practiced for an event like this over and over the last few years. Why would we have a drill during the week of state testing? Avery asked. Mr. Miller looked confused by what was going on around them. He hadn't received a memo about any kind of drill or lockdown. Students, stay seated. Don't move and please remain silent. I'm going to have a look at what is happening down the hall. Mr. Miller carefully opened the door. He was holding his breath as he stretched his upper body around the doorway in order to see what all the commotion was about. Along the hallway, only half of the lights were on. Mr. Miller could see two figures at the far end of the hall. One of them appeared to be dragging one leg behind them as if they were injured. He could hear faint screaming and yelling coming from the far end of the building. "'What do you see, Mr. Miller?' Sophie shouted from the back of the room, with fear and desperation in her voice. Mr. Miller jumped out of his skin. He instructed his class to stay silent. However, the sudden outburst from his students startled him and resulted in his upper body hitting loudly against the door. The two figures down the hall started moving closer toward the classroom. Mr. Miller closed the door and then locked it. He shut off the lights and told his students to move to the far side of the room, away from the door and out of sight. His students did as instructed in a hurried fashion and prepared for the worst. Mr. Miller crouched down in front of the door, using his weight to help hold it in place. This was completely unnecessary considering he already locked the door and released the doorstop. His extra measure gave him peace of mind. Footsteps could be heard coming closer to the door. It sounded like someone stomping, running, and dragging their feet simultaneously. Whoever it was kept smacking their hands against each door on the way to Mr. Miller's classroom. Two shadowed figures appeared through the glass of the door. They pressed their faces against the window and proceeded to smack and bang against the door. More shouting could be heard coming from the main doors of the school. This was close to Mr. Miller's room. Police! Back away from the door! A male could be heard. Down to the ground now! A female voice commanded. Both of the uninvited guests moved quickly from Mr. Miller's door, and they proceeded towards the police officers. The police instructed them once again to lie down on the ground, but they did not comply. Mr. Miller stood up and peered through the window of the door and watched in horror as the police started to open fire on the two suspects. It sounded like a firing range in the middle of the hall. 
Mr. Miller watched one shot after another go in and out of their bodies as they continued to move in on the police officers. Why are they stopping? How are they still alive? Mr. Miller said aloud. The students who were huddled along the far wall of the classroom started to panic. What's happening, Mr. Miller? Who's out there? One of the students cried out. Mr. Miller backed away from the door and had to steady himself after what he just witnessed. The two invaders, who were being shot to pieces by the police, were still moving in on them. One of the strangers grabbed an officer and bit into his neck, ripped out his carotid artery, and with a single bite and clawed out his eye like a rabid animal. Mr. Miller had a look of absolute terror in his eyes. In the midst of all the commotion, the students in the classroom were panicked and screaming, Students, stay where you are, Mr. Miller commanded. He reached under his desk and pulled out a handgun. The student's level of panic increased. Mr. Miller removed a key from his pocket and used it to open the bottom drawer to his desk. He then grabbed a small box of bullets. With shaky hands, Mr. Miller loaded the clip and inserted that into his weapon. The screaming and the banging that was unfolding in the hall was getting louder and more intense. The students in the class were inconsolable. They were beyond horrified by what was happening. Mr. Miller's attention was pulled from the loading of the gun back to the door. There were now four people visible at the window, beating on the door and pushing the window with a bloodthirsty look in their cold eyes and foam oozing from their mouths. Mr. Miller finally loaded his firearm and was attempting to raise it against the intruders. The safety and well-being of his students was the only thing on his mind. He raised his weapon and moved forward without noticing that his swivel chair was directly in his path. His ankle rolled as he made contact with the chair. This caused him to tumble forward. Mr. Miller lost his grip and dropped his gun. The impact made after hitting the floor caused his weapon to discharge and fired a single shot directly through his chin and burst out through the back of his neck, severing his spine. His lifeless body dropped to the floor like a bag of flour in front of his entire class. All of the order within the classroom was now gone and it wasn't coming back. Crying, screaming, and vomiting by many of the students echoed throughout the room. The threat from outside of the class broke through the glass and started to pour in through the doorway. The two police officers that were outside attempting to stop the intruders were now tattered and eviscerated shells of their former selves. They had death in their eyes and were hungry for more. The students were trapped in their class. There was nowhere for them to hide or to escape. A few of the students took chairs and began to break the windows in an attempt to flee. Several of the other students grabbed items near them as a means to defend themselves and fight for their lives. To their shock and horror, Mr. Miller suddenly sat up post-death and looked in their direction with death and hunger in his eyes. One of the students lunged towards the gun on the floor, intending to use it to save his classmates. He got a little too close to Mr. Miller, who was still sitting up on the floor. The student was grabbed by their teacher and pulled down to his level, where Mr. Miller bit into his face. He removed the student's nose and right cheek with the gnashing of his teeth. 
peeling it away like a huge piece of beef jerky. The remaining students climbed through the windows to evacuate, regardless of being on the second floor. Mr. Miller and the four other flesh eaters moved in on the barely conscious student and feasted on what remained. What started out as a normal day for the students of CHS was now a living nightmare. The Awakening It was Labor Day weekend, and according to the weatherman, it was going to be one of the warmest on record. Thomas and some friends were camping in Oconee State Park in South Carolina. They were seniors in high school and went with Thomas's uncle. He was an ROTC instructor who was also a substitute teacher at their high school. This was a guy in his 50s, cool to talk to, and still built like an ox. He was a sergeant while in the Army and was the true definition of a badass. On their first night camping, it was warm and windy. They went off the grid and followed an uncharted path to an isolated area deep in the wilderness. This was a favorite spot of the sergeant's, and he wanted to introduce the rest of the campers to his area. There were some natural paths, a blue hole nearby, uncharted caves, and more wilderness than any of the boys had ever seen in one trip. After they explored the blue hole and splashed in the deepest and cleanest lake they had ever seen, they were ready for dinner and for some unwinding. The group spent a while goofing off around the fire, trying to scare one another, making stupid animal noises. Mike, one of Thomas's friends who came along on the camping trip, suggested that they tell some ghost stories before bed. I'll start the first story, and if it's too much for everyone, then we can stop. <laughs> a few of the others groaned and rolled their eyes. They scoffed at his suggestion, calling it something little kids do around a campfire. Sarge, as he was known by the boys, surprised everyone when he spoke up and said, Okay, gang, quiet. Quiet, here's the plan. I'll share a story with all of you and the first one who pisses their pants will have to take a hike in the woods and gather more wood. The group stopped chatting at that point and looked at their group leader in astonishment. Sarge normally only talked when someone pressured him. This time, he volunteered to speak and actually tell a story. This was way out of character for him. The boys were anxious to hear what he had to say. Sarge continued, now that I have your undivided attention, this was a story shared with me when I was stationed in Germany. This happened in a heavily wooded area, a lot like where we are now. A small village on the outskirts of the forest had been experiencing bizarre events. The animals belonging to the townspeople had started dying off, one by one. In the morning, their owners would discover their animals outside with huge holes dug in their chest. The people thought it was the work of a bear or a pack of wild dogs and resolved to find the culprit or culprits responsible by setting traps on the outskirts of their property and holding nightly vigils until the beast was caught or killed. One night, a man by the name of Thomas was closing a store for the night. It was very late and he was anxious to get home to his family. He shut off the lights and then closed the door to his store. As he turned around to go to his car, he saw a dark shape in the distance. He stood still trying to make out what it was, 
As it got closer, Thomas turned to go. It was the last move he ever made. The next day, they found him with ten deep holes in his chest. This made the townspeople very worried and terrified. They were scared more people might get killed. The scenario for the killings was the same, but the killings escalated to humans. One night, two brave brothers, John and Jacob, went out to track down who or what was on this killing spree and destroy this perpetrator once and for all. They each took huge knives, rifles, and radios. They said bye to their father and kissed their fragile grandmother on the way out. A few hours into their self-appointed mission, the two boys decided to split up. One would trace the locations where the dead animals had been discovered, and the other would investigate where the murder of Thomas took place and search nearby streets for clues. They agreed to meet back in front of Thomas's store in three hours. If one brother came across some evidence or thought he was in danger of being attacked, they could use the radios to contact the other. So they set off, keeping a close eye on the shadows. Nothing seemed to happen at first. It was a calm night, and it seemed like they would eventually make it home safely. Suddenly, John heard a crackling in the bushes behind him. He tried to call out to his brother, but it was too late. The figure leaped out of the bushes and tackled him, gouging his chest with its massive claws. Luckily, Jacob was within an earshot and heard the commotion. He rushed to help his brother. He leaped through the air and cut off the creature's right hand with a machete. The beast screamed out in pain and disappeared in the night. Jacob took John to the hospital where the doctors treated his wounds and bandaged him up. The doctors called them heroes. John's wounds weren't serious, so he was treated and released. The brothers finally got home at six in the morning. Only their grandmother was was up at that time, so they said good morning to her. Then she went back to bed. Neither of them noticed their father ripped to shreds on the kitchen floor or the fact that their grandmother's right hand was missing. The rest of the campers howled and shouted at the woods near the campsite after the story that Sarge shared. Mike noticed that Jason had spilled something all over his pants and exclaimed to everyone, Hey, Jason pissed his pants because of the story. <laughs> he got, you gotta go fetch wood. Jason looked at his pants and said, No, no, that's not what it is. I spilled water all over myself, you moron. The group erupted in laughter, and even the Sarge got into the spirit of things and cracked a smile. Okay, okay, it's late, troops. Let's turn in and get up at sunrise for breakfast and a hike, Sarge commanded. Most of the campers chose to sleep in their tents, while the Sarge, Mike, and Jason decided to sleep under the stars. Around the campfire, of course. Right after retiring for the evening, various members of the group made goofy animal noises and, of course, the usual fart sounds boys make when they get together as a group. It was who could gross out the group most or scare someone into sleeplessness. It didn't take long, though, before the group drifted off to sleep. The Sarge, Mike, and Jason awoke at that time. In the middle of the night, the unpleasant smell of wet dog and rotten flesh filled the air. Sarge thought that it might be the damp leaves expelling a rotten odor or the smell of a dead animal blowing in the wind. He tried not to worry about it and didn't want to scare the other campers, but Mike and Jason were not only curious but also concerned. 
A few of the other campers woke up due to this horrible stench and started muttering to one another. The Sarge said, Oh, just go back to sleep and ignore it. It's just a damn animal. After that was said, everyone just slotted off to sleep and decided it was time to be quiet and just go to sleep. Had a big day ahead of them. The campsite fell silent and they slept through the rest of the night. When they awoke the next morning, the sun was peeking over the hillside and blanketed the land with warmth. A few of the campers came crawling out of their tents and noticed that Sarge was already stoking the fire and brewing coffee. He had been up for a while and walked the campsite and the woods surrounding them. "'Morning, Sarge,' Mike said as he emerged from his sleeping bag. He looked around and noticed a group of guys walking collectively from one spot to another and discussing something about their discovery. Mike looked at Sarge and said, "'What's their deal? What are they gibbering about?' The Sarge replied, without looking away from his fire, "'There are huge paw prints all over the place.' Mike looked around and said, "'What the? Did anyone see a dog here last night?' "'I thought I smelled one,' Thomas said. There were paw prints four feet away from where Thomas had laid his head that night. The prints were long and wide. They sunk deep into the ground. "'Whatever it was must have been huge and heavy. It couldn't have been a bear. Look at that track!' Everyone in the group was pretty freaked out by what they found. They all agreed that they did in fact smell something foul and felt as if they were being watched last night. The group wanted to clear their heads and gather their wits, so they decided to go exploring after breakfast. They were about 10 miles from town. Phone service was non-existent. There was a ranger tower with a radio and a landline if they needed help, or if there was an emergency. The tower was a five-mile hike uphill and near an abandoned caving area. As the group went exploring, the Sarge was playing, paying close attention to their surroundings and tracking whatever it was that was near their campsite. He'd been following the strange tracks from their area all the way to where they were walking. The group approached the closed-off caving area. It was no longer open to the public. There had been a few cave-ins in the past, and due to a minor earthquake a few years before, an unusually large sinkhole had opened up near the mountainside. How deep do you think that pit goes, Sarge? One of the campers asked. All eyes were on the Sarge at this point. He was crouched down near a natural trail and was analyzing some bizarre tracks that were all over their campsite. The Sarge found a strange clump of fur near one of the tracks. He paced back where he found it and stood abruptly to face the campers. All right, show's over. We need to uh, start heading back now, head back to our site, Sarge said with a sense of urgency in his tone. The group stood befuddled. With an abrupt announcement, Thomas spoke up. Sarge, what the heck are you talking about? Why are you acting so weird right now? Sarge responded with a sense of urgency in his voice. Enough chit-chat, gang. We move now. It was at that moment that the entire group lined up behind Sarge and proceeded to follow him. On the way back to the campsite, they were moving faster than when their journey had begun. Hey, Thomas, what if Bigfoot is hanging around your tent when we get back? One of the friends called out to him. Before Thomas could respond, the sergeant held up his arm, spun around with his finger over his mouth, and whispered for everyone to crouch down. 
Everyone behind the sergeant turned their attention forward and locked their gaze on what Sarge was watching. What the hell, man? What the freak is that? Thomas whispered. The sergeant raised his hand and made a fat fist to instruct the campers to lower their voices and wait for his orders to be given. Within a few seconds, everyone in the group could see what had Sarge so worried. Standing in the middle of the clearing near the hiking trail was a hairless animal that stood over six feet tall. It was hunched over and on its hind legs. It looked directly at the group, slowly walked to the side of the trail, let out an ungodly howl, and the creature darted into the woods and left everyone frozen in fear. A rotting wet dog odor filled the air. It was the same terrible smell that permeated the campsite the night before. Everyone saw Sergeant Major like they had never seen him before. He was absolutely frozen with fear. All the campers were equally terrified. The grotesque-looking creature they saw shook the sergeant to his core. He stood in silence for what felt like several minutes, just staring at the wilderness where the beast vanished. When he finally regained his composure, he once again assumed his leadership role and instructed the campers to get moving quickly and not to look back. Sarge bellowed, "'Boys, we are leaving. Pack up everything quickly.' We are going to get back to the site and let's get out of here. None of the boys argued. They stayed close behind Sarge as he quickly moved through the trail. Upon arriving to the campgrounds, they found a majority of their supplies and equipment had been damaged or destroyed, and everything was tossed all around the site. What? What, what happened? Who did this? Thomas cried out. The group also noticed that a few of the tents had huge rips going down the sides as if someone took a sword to them. Why would someone do this? One of the boys asked. Sarge ignored the question altogether and instructed the boys at this most commanding voice, grab what you can and leave what's been destroyed. A few of the campers started to panic as they noticed that they were at least three of those same creatures they saw earlier standing in front of the areas around the hillside. They moved quickly to gather their belongings and piled into their vehicles. Without a second thought, they sped away, leaving a smoke screen of gravel and dirt behind them. Sergeant Major vowed on that day to never set foot in that park for the rest of his life. He no longer allowed the ROTC to camp in that area either. The events of that weekend would indeed go on to haunt these once happy campers and forever discourage them from partaking in a recreational pastime that they once so greatly enjoyed. What did they actually see? No one truly knows. They knew whatever it was, it wasn't alone. There were more of them. Were they leftovers from a previous age that never evolved? Were they man or were they beast? Should the group have reported their encounter? Or was it the right thing to keep their discovery a secret? What if other unsuspecting campers in the park encounter them and they aren't so lucky or as lucky as Sarge and his group? The scary story that Sarge told the group that was told to him while he was in Germany years ago didn't seem to be a legend anymore. For these ROTC campers, the story became a reality. Could it be true? 
That story was told to Sarge in Germany. What happened to these campers was in the United States. Could there be more of these ancient beasts around the world? What do you think? Be careful while you're in the woods. And happy camping. And now a word from our sponsor. Available to order now. My first audiobook, Neil Parks presents Truly Terrifying Tales, narrated by me. It's ready to order and download on bandcamp.com. My other books, of course, are always available to order on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and lulu.com. You can also order t-shirts that I designed that I normally sell at conventions, festivals, lectures, and my book signings. I always have the 9-inch tall 3D printed Bigfoot silhouettes available, and last spring my first children's book was released. It was written by my good friend and fellow author, R.L. Walker. I illustrated this book, and it was a major shift in gears for me, considering that my writing and art style has always been dark and scary. To order any of what I just mentioned, you can also go to my email, which is parksparanormal at gmail.com. That is parksparanormal at gmail.com. Standing by. Grave Encounter. Eric had big plans for the upcoming holiday weekend. He was super excited to take part in all the activities of the July 4th holiday. Firework displays, barbecues, and outdoor activities, including swimming and volleyball on the beach. Eric was employed as a sous chef at a very popular seafood restaurant in the small resort town of Sandy Isle on the coast of South Carolina. Eric had been employed at the restaurant for less than a year, and this was his first opportunity to enjoy the summer fun with three plus days off. Eric was pumped. Yes, he thought. I'll be enjoying the weekend off while my co-workers are sweating away in the kitchen. The restaurant manager decided to close early on that day to allow the employees a few hours respite from work before the onslaught of tourists arrived the next morning. Eric was on a mini vacation at closing time today, so he was, of course, even more excited to close. Eric thought to himself, let's get this party started. However, time was dragging today, and as he repeatedly looked up at the clock, the hands seemed to move slower and slower, as if they were mocking him in deliberate defiance of his eagerness to leave. Eric would drive his car or ride his bicycle to work. He decided that day he would just walk. He thought to himself, I'll avoid all the holiday traffic and save some gas too. I'll take the shortcut by the graveyard and I'll be home to meet up with Annie in less than 10 minutes. Yes, this will be a lot better than being stuck in traffic and I can change before Annie gets there. A voice from the dining room called out to Eric. This sound brought his mind back to where he was and interrupted his daydream. Eric, we've got one more order. Could you stick around for just 10 more minutes? Eric was internally perturbed by this request, but on the exterior, he smiled and shot back, yeah, no worries, I got you covered. It appeared that Eric was going to get held over for a little while longer. That little while actually turned into hours. The moon was full and bright that evening. A smooth breeze swept through the town. Eric finally finished his shift. He quickly cleaned his station before taking out the trash. 
The time was 8.45 p.m. This reality put a spring in Eric's step as he started his walk home from the restaurant. The cool breeze was blowing softly through the town. His walk was well lit by the ambient glow of a full moon. This trip on foot took Eric down the street where the town's old cemetery was located. Eric approached the gates of the cemetery. Something about the atmosphere that night felt unsettling to him. He noticed that the gates were open and unlocked. He thought to himself, it's after sunset. Why are those gates locked? Eric took it upon himself to close and lock the gates. He was hoping that someone didn't break into the cemetery and vandalize any of the headstones that were there. As he continued on his journey, his thoughts were disrupted by a strange noise coming from inside the cemetery. Eric could hear what sounded like a child giggling. Hello? Who's in there? Eric shouted as he moved closer to the gate that separated the living from the dead. He tried to focus in on the area where he thought the sound was coming from. Eric stood patiently waiting for a reply, but there wasn't a response. He took a few more steps forward, but then he had his focus taken aback to the cemetery when he heard a soft-pitched voice humming and singing. Eric returned to the gate again. This time, he was quite agitated and angrily called out, Hello, you can stop screwing with me already. The fun is over. Eric assumed that some local kids were fooling around in the cemetery and his impatience to get home. He didn't see the humor in this at all. Cut it out, punks. I know you're in there fooling around. I'm calling the cops when I get home. Eric shouted to whomever was hiding in the shadows of the cemetery. He stood firm on his sidewalk and glared into the darkness. Absolute silence followed his stern warning. Eric thought, well, I guess I showed them as he puffed out his chest, exhaled and turned to continue on his walk. His concentration was broken by something he didn't expect to see emerge from the shadows. Before him, on the other side of the gate, stood a dark-haired figure leaning against a distorted tree. The individual appeared to be quietly sobbing. Shrouded in the shadows, this person appeared to be a small female with long, dark hair. She was wearing what appeared to be an old, dingy white gown that was tattered and smudged with dirt. Eric took a moment to catch his breath. He was taken aback by the peculiar sight of this girl. Peering out of thin air in the graveyard, Eric cleared his throat and swallowed hard, only to be left with a dry mouth. He called out, Hello? Miss, are you hurt? The girl said nothing. She remained still and continued to weep. Eric was starting to unravel. He had been by this graveyard more than a thousand times, and he had never experienced anything like this. His lungs tightened, making it difficult to breathe. His hands were shaking and wet with perspiration. His head began to throb. Miss, excuse me, are you okay? D do you need help? Eric said aloud. The girl refused to acknowledge his query. He was increasingly agitated by her unwillingness to reply. He took a deep breath. Hello, are you deaf, girl? You freaking understand me. I'm trying to help you, Eric shouted as he placed his hands on the iron rods of the gate. Aaron looked around the area where she was standing. The grave directly in front of him 
had a pile of toys, cards, toy necklaces, stuffed dolls, and candy draped over it. Eric smacked the gate as he called out to her again, but he was quickly stifled by her response. The mystery girl emerged from the shadows, moving like a marionette and facing away from him. Slowly, she sauntered toward the gate, awkwardly walking backwards until she was in front of Eric. His throat tightened, and the hairs on his arms stiffened and stood erect. The girl moved closer and started to turn to face Eric. Eric gasped. He couldn't breathe. He was now face to face with this menace of the night, and he was scared to death. He trembled uncontrollably as he looked into the girl's eyes. To his shock, her eyes were not present. Only vacant pits of black remained. Matted hair framed her pale face. The girl opened her mouth as to speak. However, there were no words and no sound. Only the stench of death poured out from her mouth. Eric grabbed his chest as to keep his heart from bursting. He let out a voiceless scream as he jumped back from the gate. His legs were weak from the frightful encounter, and he stumbled and fell from the sidewalk onto the street behind him. The headlights of a passing car immediately blinded him. The vehicle came to a screeching halt to keep from hitting Eric. What are you trying to do, get yourself killed? shouted the driver from her open driver's side window. After taking a second look, the driver called out to Eric in disbelief. Eric, is that you? What are you doing on the ground? You're supposed to be home already. Eric realized who was talking to him. Thankfully, Annie, his girlfriend, was the one driving down the same street just as he was face to face with one of the most terrifying encounters of his life. Annie, we need to go now, Eric shouted. He stumbled repeatedly as he ran to her passenger door. He slammed the car door on his foot upon his first attempt to shut the door and uttered a few profanity-laced expletives. Go, go, go! Eric screamed, and he floored the gas pedal without hesitation. Eric's stomach started to churn as he turned to look back at the cemetery, and he pulled her car into a well-lit parking lot of a nearby gas station. She put the car in park as Eric threw open the passenger door so he could vomit. What is wrong with you? Annie inquired. You look like you've seen a ghost. Eric wiped his puke-soiled mouth with his sleeve and explained the encounter to Annie. Eric always cared for Annie and loved her for as long as he could remember. He shared his story with her without a second thought. Eric, I believe you. I've lived in this town since childhood, and I've seen things in that graveyard that can't be explained. Without saying a word, Annie reached for Eric's hand. She pulled him closer to her and attempted to kiss him. Eric backed away slightly. Annie, babe, I just puked, remember? Annie chuckled as their eyes met again. She moved in for a second time and kissed his vomit-tainted lips. Eric, I love you, vomit mouth and all. Their brief moment together was interrupted suddenly. Eric went into a state of panic. He was grabbing each pocket to double check where he had put his phone, but came up empty-handed. My, my phone, I don't have my phone. I must have dropped it when I fell into the street. Annie, I'm sorry, but I have to go back and get it. What if that witch or demon or whatever it was gets it and finds out who I am? Annie grabbed Eric's hand in order to settle him down and agreed to go back there so he could retrieve his phone. Eric sighed as he traced his hand along her lacy scarf. They got back into the car and headed back into the direction of the cemetery. They 
they stopped near the spot where Eric had been. Annie turned her headlights on high beam. She grabbed Eric's hand and said, I have a flashlight on the back floorboard. Eric grabbed the flashlight and said to Annie, Come on, let's find this freaking thing together. Are you up for it, Annie? He said with a forced smirk. They got out of her car and shuffled their feet as they approached the exact spot where Eric came face to face with this demonic-looking apparition. Eric, with Annie's flashlight in hand, proceeded to scour the area looking for his phone. He was hoping to avoid being that caused him to lose his cool. He was afraid that it would show up again but he wasn't about to give up until he found his phone. Eric had heard stories from various townspeople of strange encounters in that graveyard. He had always dismissed these tales as simply ghost stories or legends handed down through the years. This was different from everything else he's heard. It wasn't a figment of his imagination. He saw something unusual. Eric would just laugh and shrug off these supposed ghost stories of encounters in the old graveyard. But what he experienced that night would forever change his opinion. Eric, what is that? Annie whispered. Eric pointed the flashlight toward the tree where he saw the ghostly figure. It occurred to him at that moment, holy shit, this is the grave with all of the toys and other stuff covering it. Look at it, Annie. Those items on the grave are scattered everywhere. Eric said aloud, it looks as if something or someone had tossed these toys, seashells, and cards all around the area. Annie, these are covering that dead girl's grave from earlier. When I saw that girl in the white, I noticed the grave was covered with this stuff. What did I see? Annie was standing close to the fence line. She placed her hands along the rails. What is that? She said aloud. The headlights to Annie's car shut off. Eric quickly turned to look at the car to see what blocked the headlights. He slowly walked toward the car, and then the headlights turned back on, brighter than before. Annie, I think your alternator might be going bad on your car. The lights keep flickering. Eric said to her as he turned to face her. To his surprise, Annie was no longer standing at the fence. Annie? Annie, where are you, babe? Eric called out in desperation. He lifted the beam from his flashlight to check the area where she had been standing. He ran to the fence line and used the flashlight to canvas the area in hopes of finding where Annie may have wandered off to. He was beginning to get really worried about where she was. Annie, where are you? Eric cried aloud again. He could hear muffled screams coming from the decorated grave. Eric's heart dropped to his stomach when he panned the ground along the grave and he saw Annie's scarf. Her scarf was sticking halfway up out of the ground. Annie's muffled screams grew softer and softer. Annie! Annie! Eric cried as the scarf was no longer visible and had sunk all the way beneath the earth. As the breeze started to shake the tree branches around him, the laughter of the ghost girl billowed through the air. <laughs> And now a word from our sponsor. Imagine no longer being tied down to your computer, but having the freedom to take live talk radio with you anywhere you go. TalkStream Live introduces our first ever iPhone application. The talk shows you follow now follow you. 
And your iPhone is now the fastest and easiest way to stay connected to the best talk radio on the Internet. Listen to live talk shows 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Mobile talk radio from TalkStream Live. Now available in the iTunes App Store. Good evening. I am Neil Parks, award-winning author. I am going to read to you a story from my second book, Haunted Chillicothe. The story is about Elizabeth's grave. The legend of Elizabeth's grave has played a major part in the mystery and whispers of legend and lore in this area for many generations. The stories that come from there are terrifying. The rumors are similar from person to person, and the history holds no real validity. So many accounts have been relayed to me through the years, and I approach each case with an open mind and a sense of skepticism. The area in which these hauntings take place is a wildlife reserve off Egypt Pike Road. There is a long dirt road that will lead you to where an old cemetery rests to your left. This location has been vandalized time and time again by local hooligans, which has left a majority of the tombstones in disarray and not placed where they should be. This is an area which is said by many to have been sacred ground among the Native Americans that used to live there. One of the many stories that I have been told pertains to a group of teens that attempted to spend the night in the old graveyard. Their account stated that they were sitting in lawn chairs and a cool breeze blew through the area. A frightening calm hovered over them, and within a few seconds, the sound of growling and the gnashing of teeth and the vibration of what sounded like hundreds of feet stomping through the woods was headed in their direction. Without so much as a second thought, the teens grabbed their gear, left the chairs, and fled from the campsite completely consumed with fear. In the taillights of their vehicle, they claimed to have seen huge red glowing eyes. There are many people who have claimed that they arrived at the site and shut off their vehicles. They will not start up again after that. Some people have reported seeing red glowing eyes protruding through the woods, lurking in the field or peering from behind the car or the tree where Elizabeth supposedly hanged until she died. I had an unfortunate experience many years ago while I was following up on a UFO sighting in that area. I was walking around the old cemetery location and had the beam of my flashlight panning across the heavily wooded backdrop. This is the area where dozens of tombstones lie scattered about. The sight of total disrespect for the dead saddened me, and what happened next took the breath from my very lungs. The beam of my flashlight exposed what appeared to be a Bigfoot creature. I took three huge steps back before I was able to breathe again. I almost ran back to my vehicle before realizing that this was only a man-made beast. In the darkness of night, along an overgrown tree line, the fake Bigfoot looked very real. It turns out that one of the local high schools does this every year as a prank. There are still so many unanswered questions, different versions of the story, and hundreds of people reporting weird phenomenon in this area that I had to launch a full-scale investigation into the legend of Elizabeth's grave. On October 21st, 2006, while I was taking part in a paranormal investigation with the South Central Ohio Paranormal Society, 
we attempted to shed some light on the history and folklore that surrounds the area within Elizabeth's grave. There are so many stories that have been floating around this area. The stories pertain to her grave and the mystery behind who Elizabeth was, where she came from, where she went, and what exactly happened to her. Upon our arrival, we ran into a young couple at the site seeking the same answers. They were from this area, however, they had only stopped by once before. They had actually made this night their second encounter in search of this mysterious grave. Their names were Andrew and Victoria. They were there the night before as well. The first time, they were joined by two of Victoria's friends. Their story was indeed strange. According to Victoria, a possible residual apparition of Elizabeth herself touched her. She said, While I was walking to the right side of my group, I was at a distance of no more than two people away from them. My group just happened to be at my left, when I felt something grab me and pull me further from my friends. I froze for a moment so I could gather myself. I realized that the only other people in the area other than me were my friends to the left, Victoria stated. She continued, I was motionless and still. It was only a few moments before I actually brought up the experience to the others in my group. When they were made aware of this, they bore witness to a phenomenon unlike anything they would have ever imagined. Andrew added, Everything around us grew quiet except the sounds of the tree limbs snapping and a silent whisper coming from that old oak tree to the right. It sits next to the natural path by the cemetery. Andrew explained to us how they were made aware of this supernatural hotspot. They discovered this location through a website that goes by ForgottenOhio.com. This site seems to be a popular resource for local Scoobies. Andrew also informed us of some excellent haunted hotspots in and around the Dayton, Ohio area. His information and their accounts were most helpful. The stories and legends surrounding the mystery of Elizabeth were similar through their statements and understanding pertaining to their experience. The legend, according to what they've heard or read, revolves around the idea that Elizabeth was a witch frightened local zealots murdered her and she allegedly haunts the woods in and around the cemetery she is supposedly buried to the right of the oak tree that she was hung from however there are no written records pertaining to her living as a witch or dying as a result of witchcraft there is a headstone bearing the name elizabeth that rests in the basement of the archives building in the historical downtown district in Chillicothe, Ohio. It remains there in order to protect that piece from vandals. It is believed to be the real headstone for the actual Elizabeth. Elizabeth and her mother were said to have fled from Salem, Massachusetts in 1692 for the crimes of witchcraft. Elizabeth was supposed to have been 20 at the time of her death in 1712. Elizabeth, only an infant at the time when her and her mother fled from Salem. They were said to be seeking refuge as far from the madness as possible. The two of them took a path in the area that went through what would later be known as the Erie Canal. Elizabeth and her mother found a vacant house in the woods, no more than 300 feet from where the cemetery now rests. 
Elizabeth's mother, was said to have befriended a local farmer. The farmer's first wife died in childbirth. The farmer took Elizabeth's mother as his wife after a long courtship. Elizabeth's mother never told her new husband about her supernatural abilities or where she came from. However, as Elizabeth grew into a young woman, it became evident to everyone in the area that both Elizabeth and her mother possessed special abilities. The discovery led to their death by the hands of paranoid, angry people. With torches and pitchforks, the locals headed to the house that Elizabeth's mother made into a home for them. Later that evening, we finished our investigation by speaking briefly with another group of spooky enthusiasts. They were also looking for the same answers. This group traveled well over an hour to visit this spot, and they too found out about it through the same website. In the end, our research showed while we were in the far left side of this area, we noticed that there were several dozen broken headstones and grave markers. One of these headstones displayed the name Elizabeth. It showed the date of death being 1932. We noticed heavy drops and energy from the readings on our electromagnetic pulse meters. The further we got from the area, the more severe the jump in the electromagnetic energy. The meter stayed calm for the most part. However, there were significant drops in magnetic energy while we were standing near the oak tree with Andrea and Andrew and Victoria. After almost an hour of calm silence, the wind started to pick up and a phantom aroma filled the air around us. It smelled like a strawberry perfume mixed with the smell of rust. While this was plaguing us, my attention was quickly switched. One of my team members stated that they had a feeling of a little hand with a gentle grip clasping onto their left hand. Their hands smelled like strawberries for the rest of the evening. This was, without a doubt, more than we bargained for. At that exact moment, our meter dropped by a few points, and after the wind died down, it quickly rose up again. What a night! We not only encountered the unexplained, but we encountered others who were looking for the same answers. We walked away from the investigation only to realize that the case of Elizabeth's grave and the enigmatic mysteries that surround it are definitely still open. Well, that's it for today. Thank you for listening to me rattle on for almost an hour, if not a little, little bit more, and telling you some terrifying tales and creepy ass ghost stories it started out as a hobby and it's turned into an obsession i thoroughly enjoy what i do this form of artistic expression and most of you may or may not know but i've shifted gears a bit and i'm also illustrating children's books so i've gone from being a borderline stephen king to just a little bit of hanna-barbera mixed with Walt Disney and some Dr. Seuss artwork-esque sort of-ish. Have a great weekend, or a great week, whatever time zone you're in, and thank you so much for listening. This is Neil Parks signing off.